Well, good morning and welcome on this uh, spectacular weekend that we've been given. Um, I hope you had a great barbecue with uh, neighbors or that you will. I hope also that you'll be out for this June 24th event. It really should be a great time. So you heard the drill. It's, it's, it replaces the Saturday night service here. There's a dozen churches participating. There's a big uh, potluck uh, barbecue, hot dog, Chicago hot dog theme afterwards. So uh, make a point to be here June 24th, 530, uh, with a side dish and lawn chairs and all that. Also, while I'm uh, offering some suggestions, please be praying for all the teams that we have out. So we've got a team in India, we've got a team in the DR, and this morning our team t- going to Dayton, Ohio left. So I'm not sure what the total count was, somewhere between 100 and 125, that are out working, serving this week. So we want to uh, support them in prayer as they are, uh, as they are growing and serving. So I want to begin this uh, new series with, uh, with some stories. Let me start by saying, uh, I'm going to tell you about a handful of people. None of them are you. <laughs> okay, so uh, I, I, am, I am telling you about people who do not attend Christ Church. I am telling you, I'm, just to keep this completely anonymous, I'm not only changing their names, I'm changing some of the, some of the non-essential items of these stories, but I want, I want to get you thinking uh, about a certain thing. And don't send me an email saying you were really talking about me. If you can tell me that this is you, that this is also true of you, but I am not talking about you. So, <clears throat> first of all, there's John. I met John 25 years ago. I was part of a running group. John shows up. And, um, and he's funny, and he's friendly, and he's loud, and, and, uh, and we hit it off, and, and he starts showing up. We're running every night, and then he starts showing up uh, at my house during the day because I was painting, and he had a lot of free time, and so he offered to help me paint my house that summer. And over time, I began to realize that John was a Christ follower. John had recently gone through a divorce, and that he was actually a bit depressed. That was my assessment. He was uh, living in a home with about nine college guys. Although he was 30, he was sort of living out of a closet there. That's what he rented, like 50 bucks a month. He wasn't working, and he had vague plans to go back to grad school at some point. But over the course of months, I didn't see a whole lot of progress with, with John. And then one day I get a phone call from John's dad. And he says, uh, he didn't live in the area, he says, you don't know me, I'm John's dad, and I, I'm coming into town, I'd like to meet with you, I do not want John to know that we're going to meet. Okay? And we got together, he says, you probably think that John is sort of on the rebound from this divorce, and that that's why nothing is really working in his life. He goes, but the fact of the matter is, John is divorced because nothing is working in his life. He hasn't had a job, he makes these plans, he never, he never finds the gas pedal, he never presses start, he just can't seem to get out of his own way. He's, he's stuck and you need to help him. So I started trying to set some goals and parameters and encouragement for John, and it didn't work, and eventually John uh, moved. He, he left the area and I stay in a little bit of touch with him. And last I heard a couple years ago, nothing really had changed over the course of the last 25 years. John is stuck. And I can tell you about, uh, I can tell you about Sarah. So Sarah's maybe uh, late 50s, perhaps a little bit older. Sarah 
uh, is in a troubled marriage. She was mostly focused on raising her kids. Her kids are all launched now, so she's returned to the workforce. And she seems to be doing okay, although if you really pay close attention, you would start to think, Sarah changes jobs a bit too often. And if you really got sort of uh, under behind the scenes, you'd think, Sarah changes friends too often. And uh, Sarah and John are very different. John was outgoing, loud, funny, and John hated to analyze people or situations and absolutely detested counseling. Sarah loves counseling. It's almost like a hobby for her. And uh, she's quiet, she's more thoughtful, but she really loves to dive deep and to sort of, sort of analyze people. And, and Things go well in your conversations with Sarah unless you challenge her narrative in any way. And in particular, her narrative of her own, her own story. Uh, then she cuts you off, right? Sarah is stuck. I can tell you a lot of others. I can tell you about Peter. Peter seems to have everything working. Many people would not understand that Peter was stuck. Peter's a very high-functioning, very powerful individual, seems to have a great marriage, I don't know his kids, but I think, uh, I think that's all seems to be going pretty well. But if Peter gets mad, <laughs> it is like a nuclear explosion. You'd basically just run when you think he's about to go off. And I can tell you about Claire. Claire is probably early 50s and 10 years ago, Claire's husband left her for the proverbial younger woman. And 10 years later, it's almost impossible to have a conversation with Claire about anything else. She's very bitter. And then there, is, uh, then there is Chet. Chet is maybe 40, made a lot of money very quickly in real estate. And, uh, but I was, when I was with him not too long ago, uh, I, I, said, I, I realized Chet had gained a lot of weight. And when we were headed out for breakfast, uh, he said, um, he said well, you know, we can stay. We can go to breakfast wherever you want. I go, well, what do you usually do for breakfast? He goes, well, usually I go to Starbucks and I, get a, I just get a tall coffee with seven extra shots. I'm like, seven shots? Oh, my goodness. He goes, well, i got to sort of kick out the Ambien. He goes, I take Ambien several times during the night to sleep. I'm like, oh, my God. Okay. These were just a couple of the clues that Chet's life was not working. After I'd been with him for a couple days and was sort of prodding, I said, hey, Chet, would you do me a favor? He said, sure. I said, "I'd, I'd like to be named. He's not married and he's not close to his family. I go, I'd like to be named the executor of your estate. I said, I I won't keep any of the money, but I just would like to be able to give it away when you die sometime in the next 36 to 48 months, because this is, you are headed for a very early grave. And I could tell you about, uh, I could tell you about uh, Lauren. Lauren is 25 and Lauren is mad Lauren is mad at uh, all the people that are older than her who have the good jobs and are not moving out of the way. Lauren is mad at her professors for uh, talking her into a major that left her with a lot of debt and no, uh, no job prospects. Lauren is mad uh, at her parents because she has a, a bad car. Lauren is, Lauren is blaming everybody else. Lauren is stuck. So I could tell you more stories, but you get the theme. Right? Some of these people are very high-performing, some of them not so much. Some of these people know they're stuck, <laughs> some of them don't know they're stuck. But they're all stuck. So here's the question. Are you stuck? 
Or, maybe to frame this a little bit more specifically, in what ways are you stuck? In what ways are you not growing? So this series that we're beginning is based on a few starting assumptions. Number one, there is an ideal. And if you're a Christ follower, then Jesus is the ideal, right? He is, he is the smartest person. He's the best person. He's the perfect person. He was wise. He was thoughtful. He was strong. He was kind. He was, he was very tuned into the needs of other people. He was profoundly connected uh, with his heavenly father. Jesus is the ideal. Jesus is our example. Now, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, he's more than just an example. And, and in some of the things that Jesus did, he's not our example. We don't have to follow his example of dying on the cross. He did that. So Jesus is more than simply an example. He's the Savior. He's the Son of God. He's the creator of the world. But he is an example for us. There is an ideal. Secondly, we're expected to be moving towards that ideal. So I, I've talked many times about this spectrum, negative five to positive five. Right? We're all spiritual beings located somewhere on this spectrum. Negative five is as far from God as we can possibly be. Positive five is fully in his presence. We can't be at either extreme this side of the grave. But when we die, we're headed in one of those two directions. And uh, we're all somewhere on this chart to start with. Our soul has been formed or malformed in various ways by the things we've done, the decisions we made. We start in negative numbers because of sin. We cross over into positive numbers on the basis of the work of Christ. And then we are expected to keep moving towards Christ. So, so salvation is by grace through faith. It's a gift. We don't do anything to earn it. But our, what theologians call sanctification, our sanctification is a partnership that we engage in with God and the Holy Spirit uh, as Augustine said, uh, we can't do it on our, on our own, and God won't do it on his own. So we are expected to labor, to discipline ourselves, to strive, to press on towards the goal, to move towards that objective. But many people are stuck, and they're not moving. Some people are stuck in negative numbers. Some people cross over the line and then stall. And this is not a new thing. This is an old thing. Paul complains about it in 1 Corinthians. The writer of Hebrews complains about it. I should be able to teach you the more profound things, but you're just still babies. You're nursing. All you can take is, is, is milk because you're, you're infants. You're not growing. Many people stall. So this series is based on the idea that many people, many of us are stalled. We're stuck. And we want to move forward. Because God wants us to move forward. Right? God wants us to flourish. John 10.10, 10, I can't you might have life, you might have it abundantly, right? We, we, are, we want to experience the shalom of God. That's what he has for us. And, uh, and when we do that, it's, it works. Right? The, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those things make life work. Like, if you have self-control, <laughs> if you have love, if you're kind, if you're patient, life works a whole lot better than if you don't have those things. So, so we want to get better. Spiritual maturity is its own reward. Better is better. We want to be moving towards the ideal, but many people get stuck. And if you were to ask people, why are you stuck, or why do you think someone else is stuck, you hear a number of things. Addictions. 
uh, laziness, a lack of understanding of what the goal is, your injustice and being held back by other people. There's a handful of things that people would say have led them to be stuck. I want to look at this all under the rubric of sin. Now, if your understanding of sin is, you know, don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with women who do, you know, then it's a very, it's a very naive, that's a very clunky, that's a very uh, wooden understanding of sin. And it doesn't line up with what the Bible says. So just for the record, there are six Hebrew nouns that get translated by the English word sin. And there are three Hebrew verbs that get translated by, by the English word sin. And in the Greek New Testament, there are five different words that get translated sin. And there are five different nouns, and there are five different verbs, and there are three adjectives. Right? So it's a very rich, nuanced, sort of complicated picture of what constitutes sin. And then additionally, you have these stories, you have analogies, you have parables, you have, you have different ways that, that God is communicating how we can ultimately sabotage ourselves. Because that's what sin is. If, if we had perfect insight, perfect knowledge, and a perfect will, we would never sin. Because sin is ultimately self-destructive behavior. It's always in our best interest. We are never, God will never ask you to act in a way that's against your best interest. <laughs> we just don't understand what our best interest is. And we don't have perfect insight. We don't have, we don't have the ability, as Paul makes clear in Romans, you know, sort of five through, through eight passages. We just don't have the ability uh, to do the things even when we know that they're right. So, so I want us to frame all of this under, I want us to, to, to embark on this series of looking at different ways we get stuck by looking at sort of the rich imagery that we get out of the Bible. And to start, today I want to talk out of Jeremiah chapter 17. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Jeremiah chapter 17. And uh, as you do, let me just remind you, so Jeremiah is a prophet, Old Testament prophet. He lived about 2,500, 3,000 years ago. He lived during a time of great political turmoil. So he was alive when Jerusalem fell. He was alive when the temple was destroyed. He was alive when the Jews got marched into exile. Uh, he was alive when the Assyrians were falling out of power and the Babylonians and the Egyptians were competing against each other. He was alive during some of Josiah's reforms. So it was a very tumultuous time that Jeremiah was a prophet. And he was speaking, he was directing his message to the Jews. So right, a priest represents the people to God. A prophet represents God to the people. He spoke for God to the people. And he was directing his comments uh, to the Jews. Some prophets like Jonah spoke to the, you know, spoke to the, the, the Ninevites. I mean, there's different people that they would get directed to. He was directing his comments to the Jews. And he set something up that's pretty interesting in Jeremiah 17, a contrast between two uh, trees, a bush and a tree. And, and he's making an analogy about life and about the sin of unbelief. So let me read this for you. Jeremiah 17 beginning with verse 5. <clears throat> Cursed is the man who trusts in 
mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Okay, so uh, cursed is the one who, who trusts in themselves, who trusts in titles or money or kings or presidents or, or armies or something like that. Cursed is one who trusts in man and mankind as opposed to trusting in God. He will be like a bush in the desert. And the, the term that's used here in the Hebrew, achak, is a term that, uh, Hebrew word, that there's a lot of play, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of sort of nuanced meanings there that are hard to bring into the, into English. Uh, it's a word that means curse. It's a word that means naked. And he's describing a naked tree, a naked bush, a bush that doesn't have leaves. So in, in, uh, desert, it looks like that, right? I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a bush that is trying to eke out a life. In, in this country, in this culture, it's usually, you, the word is often equated with juniper bushes, right? Which don't have leaves. I, I really don't like juniper bushes. Every house we bought has had overgrown juniper bushes in the front yard that I've had to spend days hacking out. Uh, but, but that's the imagery that you have. And of course, it's a, so it's this sort of shrew of a tree. It's, it's gnarly. It's not very pretty. And, and he's describing not necessarily a bush. He's describing a life, right? So cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord, for he will be like a bush in the desert. Uh, he will not see prosperity when it comes I will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. In contrast, verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. He will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream. And he will not fear when heat comes, but its leaves will be green. And he will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. So we have a tree uh, that is, of course, majestic, and it's got leaves, and it's strong, and it's vibrant, and it's healthy. And uh, so we have the contrast of two lives, uh, a bush in the desert eking out an existence, and this majestic tree next to the water. <clears throat> and I want to make three observations out of this Jeremiah passage. It's a very rich passage. The first one is, our roots need to go to God. So what Jeremiah sets up is a contrast between this bush and this tree. But what he talks about then are where the roots go. So we all have roots, right? So there's something that anchors us where we are. There's a worldview. There's a, there's an orientation, a gestalt. We have a, we have a, we have an approach to life. We're all anchored by a set of beliefs. And so the, the roots anchor us like a plant, and then they, they inform us, they nourish us. They, they, are, they are how we get what we need to live. And what the writer, uh, what Jeremiah does here is, is he's saying, you got to think about the roots, and your roots need to go into God. So what he says specifically in verse 7 is, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. So I think, I think he's just noting that there are people who trust in the Lord 
for something else. Right? So they trust in the Lord, but their trust is not the Lord. I was talking with a guy not too long ago, sort of dropped out. And when I can, right, I, I chase. <laughs> so I chased for months and months. And when I finally got a hold of him, right, uh, I said, so what's going on? And he goes, well, look, it just didn't work out. I go, well, what didn't work out? He goes, well, you know what? I did what you said. I, I, I showed up at church. I prayed. <clears throat> My life's still a mess. My knee still hurts. I still got the same old job. And I said, okay, time out. So <clears throat> what you're after is God, right? And you were trying to use God as a means to an end. What you really wanted was ease and money and a, and a promotion. You were trying to manipulate God. That is not going to work. So there are many people who trust in the Lord, but whose trust is not the Lord. And we just have to understand, we have to put our roots down into God. right? Not through God to something else. Our roots need to go uh, to God. So... Um, We can get our roots wrong by being irreligious, and many people have, would say they have no faith. Everybody has faith, right? I'm, I'm always going to challenge that. We always believe in things that we can't prove, whether it's science or reason. We all have to make some starting assumptions that we can't ultimately prove. I wish I could get every person into a philosophy class and just get them through the first orientation. We all make assumptions that we can't ultimately prove. We all have faith in something. Some people are irreligious in their orientation. Some people make the opposite mistake and are religious. And they think that if I am a good person, if I go to church, if I do these things, then my life is going to be good. Okay, that's equally wrong, right? Religion and irreligion are both equally wrong. We are to put our roots in God. God defines things. God is to be our anchor. God is the one who is to inform us. And so... Uh, the first thing we get from Jeremiah is that the first sort of underlying orienting sin that can lead us to have a life that's stuck is unbelief in God. We're not tied to God. We were created to be in a relationship with God. If that's not happening, then we are, by definition, going to be stuck. Second thing we need to see here is that um, our roots trump the weather. So it's not just that there's two orientations, right? A bush and a tree, two different worldviews, two different, you know, starting assumptions. It's not just the contrast there. But he goes on and he says, right, the, the bush will not prosper even if, it, if the desert floods. And the tree will not die even in a drought. So cursed is the man who trusts in mankind, makes flesh, makes flesh his strength. Uh, he's like a bush in the desert who will not see prosperity when it comes. Why does a bush not prosper in a desert? Because it's not set up to prosper. It can't take advantage of the rain. Right? That's not the kind of roots that it has. Likewise, uh, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He will be like a tree planted in the water that extends its roots into the stream and will not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves will be green. He will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. So there is this contrast between the fact that 
if you are a bush and your roots don't go where they're supposed to, you can't ultimately take advantage of the good things that will happen. And if you are a tree that is planted in the right place, and please notice this, the bush just happens to grow in the desert. The tree has been planted where it can prosper. If you are a tree that is planted in the right place, then you don't have to fear the drought. You don't have to fear hard times. Now, we talk about the second half more than we talk about the first, right? We talk about the fact that there are people who get knocked down and, uh, and get back up. There are people who, who have difficult lives, and they, they, they continue to, to navigate the challenges with a sense of joy, with a sense of peace, because they say, you know what, uh, that, that's not working, but I'm not that, <laughs> right? right? I, 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 so I just lost my job. I just got a bad uh, diagnosis, but, but that's not what defines me. It's not who ultimately I am. My roots go into God, right? I'm going to live forever. I, this will work out. I have promises. And there's a perspective that allows them to keep going on. And then there are other people who uh, cannot take advantage when good things come by. And so, so I see this most, and, I, and I'm familiar with it by, just by reading of others' other stories. I see this most with people who make it really big and then say, well, wait a minute. I'm, I'm still the same person. But I've, been, I've, been, I've been after this goal. I've been after this title. I've been after this much money. I've been after the whatever. And now I got it, but I'm still me. So I was reading about a, a, an NFL quarterback after he won the Super Bowl a number of years ago, and, and he was just explaining why he was late to the post-game press conference. He said, you know, we won the Super Bowl, euphoria, finally, I've been working for 20 years to get this done. We're the, we're the world champions. He goes, go into the locker room, big celebration, high fives. He goes, take a shower, come back to my locker, and realize, well, now what? Now what am I going to do? This is what I wanted, but I don't like the way I feel. I'm still the same person. I thought when I got this, then everything would be great, but it's clearly not. And he, he didn't know, he said, I didn't know how to go out in front of the cameras because everybody's expecting I'm going to be euphoric. And I'm, I'm devastated because, right, like a bush, not prepared to take prosperity. I was um, at a, my, my, college reunion first part of this weekend. I'm officially very old because I went to the tables of the classes that I graduated, class of 82. I'm looking around going, oh my goodness. I can't believe that, that these are my, that, that I'm, I should be at this table, right? It's like, okay, I'm 35 years after college. I am officially old. And uh, I, I had a great time but I was really struck by the fact that you see how people's lives have played out over three and a half decades. You see pretty easily who's stuck. Like you're in a conversation and you think, wow, dude, this is like sophomore year in college. I mean, you have not moved on. And you see other people who have had really challenging situations and yet have great joy. 
And then you see people who maybe have hit it out of the park. They want you to know that they flew here in their jet. They want you to know this. They want you to know that. And you think, wow, you are really not happy. Right? And you just see that when you're in that kind of a scenario. And, and, and what the writer is saying is, uh, look, we need to put our roots down into God because if your roots go into God, then, then you can make it no matter what happens and you can take advantage of the good things. Right? There's joy in the good things. But you realize this doesn't define me, but I can have joy in the good. Which leads to the final point. Some of you need to be replanted. So some of you have made a decision to follow Christ. You stepped over the line, uh, but you stalled. And maybe you stalled at point one, and maybe you stalled at 1.5, and maybe you stalled at 2.1. I don't know, but you're stalled. You're not growing. If you were just being honest, you'd go, yeah, I'm, I'm really not growing very much right now. And I don't know exactly what it looks like for you to grow but it looks like something. And here's what you have to understand. Being stuck is actually the default mode for us. <laughs> if you want to grow, that's going to take effort. We don't naturally become mature and wise. Right? That doesn't automatically happen. And so you're going to have to figure out what the next step looks like. So personally, I've been challenged over the course of the last couple months that I need to learn to listen to the voice of God better. So I would argue, still, would argue before, would still argue, that we listen, to the word, we listen to God fundamentally through this book. This book is God's word. We read, we study, we pray. That's the way forward. And if you're not doing that, 10 plus 10, right, 10 minutes a day of Bible reading, 10 minutes a day of prayer, you start there. That's, that's, that's the basics. So I was thinking, okay, I, I had a a friend, and he says, you, you need to learn, you need to lighten up, you need to, you need to learn to listen to God more, you know, the sheep know the name of their, ma- know the voice of their master, and so I said, okay, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll go with this, so, so push me, he says, okay, well, let's go out, he goes, let's go out, we're going to pray, we're going to ask God to lead us, and we're going to find people, and we're just going to walk up to them and pray for them, okay, uh, not really the way I roll, but okay, we'll try this. Let's just go away from here so that I don't see anybody that I know, right? So it'll be safe. So we prayed, and he said, so do you have any sense who we should go pray for? I got, I got nothing. He goes, okay, well, I think, I think we're supposed to go to a gas station. Go to a gas station. So we go to a gas station. And uh, he had talked with the owner, the manager of this gas station before, and this guy had come to faith in Christ. He wanted to go back and follow up with this guy. So I end up in a conversation, and I discover this guy uh, is from Nepal. I said, really? I, ju- I was in Nepal. I was in Nepal last year. He goes, you were in Nepal last year? I go, yeah. And then he finds out I'm a pastor. And he says, oh, oh, will you stay right here? And I said, okay. He goes, yeah, just stay right here for a few minutes. Okay. So then this woman comes walking up to me about 10 minutes later, and she says, are you the holy man who's been to Nepal, who's going to pray for me? I said, well, I wouldn't call myself a holy man, but I am a pastor, so maybe you would call me a holy man. Uh, I'm glad to pray for you. And what do you want me to pray for? She goes, well, I have a nursing exam uh, in three weeks. I, I was a nurse over in Nepal. I moved here two years ago. I've got to take this exam. And to be 
you know, certified here. It's great. So we prayed and we talked for another half hour. And then my friend is going a different direction and he says, go somewhere else. And I, 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 he's got a, a, there's other people there that are all part of this experiment. And so uh, one guy says, I got to go to a mall. So I get in the car with him. We go to the mall and he's going somewhere. And I just say, okay, God, if you want me to talk with someone else, make it happen. And I'm like, I'm not hearing, uh, in any audible way, any direction, but I say, okay, I'm, Lord, I'm, you know, let's, let's see this work. So I wander into a store, and there's nobody in there, nobody in there. So no, obviously nobody to pray for, because there's nobody in the store. And uh, I'm getting ready to leave, and I, I notice, I'm, I'm listening to something, I go, that's not the radio, what is that? And I, I go, oh, that's a lecture, it sounds like somebody's listening to a nursing lecture. So I go wandering around into the back, and I find this person there. And I said, this is a nursing lecture. She goes, yeah, it is. And I said, and you're from Nepal. She said, yes, I am. I said, you have a test coming up in three weeks. She says, how do you know this? (laughs) I'm here to pray for you. (laughs) So look, I want to go back and say, we listen to the word of God fundamentally by reading the book. But we want to cultivate a deeper dependence on God. We want to keep going deeper. It it involves action. It involves risks. It involves things. I I just want to say, some of you are stalled. You've stepped over the line. You've come to faith in Christ, but you're stalled. And you need to take some next steps. So maybe it's that you've got to get into a small group. Maybe it's that you're in a small group, but you've you've got to step up. And you need to sign up to lead a small group. Maybe you're going to need to lead a small group this fall when we do our fall series, Discovering Life with God. Maybe the next step for you is to, uh, is to take the spiritual checkup that we offer, right? A, a confidential one-hour sit-down with somebody to talk about your life and where you're at and the things that you've done and where you, the things that you're trying and where you're at so that someone can help you say, well, why don't you think about this or why don't you do this or why don't you study this book of the Bible or why you you need to take a next step so the all those options are available online download the app whatever you can but you ultimately are responsible for your spiritual growth so you're gonna have to do something if you're stalled then you gotta find some way to find the gas pedal and additionally some of you need to be replanted and that just is an acknowledgement that the bush was out in the desert. It just happened there. But the tree was planted. A non-tree has to plant the tree, right? And we can, we can run with this analogy to say that, that you need to be moved by the water, and, and this is part of what new life in Christ looks like. There is actually, there was one who was planted perfectly, and who was flourishing. And he was ripped up from the stream and thrown out into the desert, so that we could be replanted from the desert by the stream, right? And that's Jesus. So some of you need to be repotted, you need to be replanted, you need to be moved. Trees cannot move themselves. This is something that you look to God to do in your life. So I'm going to close, I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to give you a chance to be replanted if you would like to. Heavenly Father, I pray for myself as I pray for others that we would find ways to keep moving towards you. 
To the extent that this is dependent upon us, Holy Spirit, give us soft hearts to know uh, how to yield to you and to grow and to be unstuck. And now I want to pray. Give those of you who who recognize that you need to be repotted, that you need uh, to ask for God's help in your life. You've never done this. You want to place your faith in Christ. I want to give you a chance to do that. And it is, the words are far less important than the attitude of your heart. And you would just say something like this. Lord God, I, I get it. I see it. I realize that I am very much like a bush in the desert and that I'm not flourishing in the ways that I could, and that I can't take advantage of the good, and that I suffer from the bad, and I I need to be forgiven. I need a Savior. I don't just need an example. I need a Savior. I can't even keep my own standards, let alone yours. So, Lord Jesus, I turn to you, and I ask you to be my Savior and to replant me, to repot me next to the stream that I would flourish. Amen.